over the next few weeks, um, we're going to be able to really dive into the prophets. And the prophets write to Israel in a unique time in their history. They are suffering injustice and they are oppressed. And in the middle of that season, God reveals who he is and who they are. And so over the coming weeks, we're gonna get to walk through a lot of things that's going to have direct implication on our life and in our country, and we're gonna see a lot of principles that have overlap. One of the things that's been on my mind a lot lately is from Jeremiah. It's one of the more formative verses in scripture for me personally. I can remember when it first really took root in my life. Jeremiah is one of these prophets. And God speaks through Jeremiah to his people. And God rebukes the false prophets. And he identifies the false prophets as those who heal the wounds of the people lightly by pointing them to peace where there is no peace. My heart stirs. There is a burden in me. And I want more for us than a slogan. More for us as a church, as believers, than some organization can put on a Twitter feed. When we come here and we gather around God's word, there ought to be more substance than that. There should be more conviction than that. Where shall we go? You just sang that. Where else will we go? Show us Christ. And in a beautiful display of that, Jack shows us Christ today in a way beyond anything that I can preach. Gene's right. Jack's baptism is a testimony of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But it's also a testimony that Jack in his old self is dead and buried and behold, he is a new creation. His life now in Christ. He shows us that. Death to self and new in Christ. This is why Paul writes and said, it is not I who lives but it is Christ who lives in me. Think about that. Death to self, alive in Christ, no illusion of any value left in yourself or any of those superficial belongings, but all of it, all of your value, all of your worth, all of your life in Christ. No separate, divisive ambitions no divisive belongings, there's no nationality, there's no, no race, no gender, no last name, no titles, no difference in our incomes. Now listen, all of our value and all of our worth in Christ and in Christ alone. What a beautiful picture of that. But it's difficult, it's difficult because we are living out something that is established but not yet present. And so I want you to do something. I want you not to just listen to me pray, 
But as a believer and as the church, I want you to pray with Jack. I want you to pray for Jack. It's our responsibility to care and to dig in community with one another as we walk through life and point one another to Christ. As we live in this reality that is declared and is as good as done, but not yet experienced in our life. And so if you would, would you just bow your head and would you just pray for Jack? Heavenly Father, you are good. Thank you that we would get to be part of something so special. And Father, I pray that it would burden us that it would cause us to fix our eyes on you. Lord, that we would be reminded that we are dead to self and a new creation in your son, Jesus. Father, I pray for Jack. Lord, I pray that you would raise him up and day over day sanctify him and conform him more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. And I pray that you would use him to lead many to you. And I thank you and I praise you with his family that what was once broken is now new. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, one of my favorite quotes, because I just have this awful memory, is this John Newton quote, the redeemed slave trader who wrote Amazing Grace. Most of us are familiar with him. And he has this great quote in the old age, uh, you know, the, the final days of his life. And he, he says, although my memory's fading, I didn't even have to get old for that to happen, but although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great savior. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great savior. And with that, with that wisdom, you can understand how he could write something like, was grace that taught my heart to fear. And it was grace my fears relieved. You know, speaking of fear, we're generally pretty bad at assessing risk. Can we just be honest with ourselves and acknowledge that we're pretty bad at that? We're horrible at it. We're emotional, experiential beings, and so we wait to our emotion and to our experience. And so for better or worse, we tend to think with our emotions through the lens of our experiences. If you want to be scientific about it, you can go back. There's decades and decades of research on how people assess risk and how we tend to lean into our emotion rather than logical calculation to our feelings and our experiences. But there is no greater risk to mankind than sin. It is our greatest risk and should be our greatest fear. And yet, sin stimulates our emotion Sin saturates our experiences. And so we poorly assess our sinfulness and our brokenness. 
We don't see it as fully as we should. And this is exactly what's happening in Israel's day. And as Isaiah comes on the scene, man, his prophetic ministry begins as the Assyrian Empire is drawing in. The invasion threatens Israel and Judah and Jerusalem. And Isaiah is commissioned by God, set apart by God, to reveal God's judgment on Israel, to call Israel to repent, to turn from their sin, and to turn to God. He repeatedly throughout his book reminds us who we are as people. And in contrast, who God is. He speaks to the coming downfall of Jerusalem and Judah. He speaks to the coming exile and the return. He speaks to what he calls an old broken Jerusalem and what will be a new good Jerusalem. And that theme goes throughout this whole book. And as you've been reading along with us in the Bible 2020, I hope you see that theme that what was old and what was broken is being made new and good. That's our big truth. That God is making new what we have shattered and stained. God is making new what we have shattered and stained. And over the next few minutes, we're just going to prepare our broken, redeemed hearts to step back and remember how great of sinners we are and in contrast, how great a savior he is. And we're gonna build to the end and we're gonna just sing some songs of redemption and hopefully with humbled hearts, with broken hearts, acknowledge that he is worthy of our life and our praise. And we're just gonna break down some implications of this big truth. We call implications big ideas here at Tri-Cities. You guys know that. And we're gonna look through six of them and we're gonna read a lot of scripture. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do, okay? If, if you're here and you're, you're a note taker, just set aside your notes for tonight. All the notes are pretty much in scripture. They're all on the app. You can get them all on the website. And I just want you to like kind of just let your heart and your mind rest in God's word. And for the next few moments, just let it saturate us. And I'm just gonna give us some comments as we walk through, but I really just want the word to saturate our hearts and our minds and set up another conversation that we will have next week. Our first implication, the first big idea is we are broken and our mind is sick. Our heart is troubled. We'll read through that. It'll say heart is faint here in Isaiah chapter one. It means deadened. We'll begin in Isaiah 1, chapter, or verse 2. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. <sighs> Sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, Offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? 
The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of your foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are neither pressed out nor bound up or softened with oil. Isaiah's opening message of his book is you are broken from head to toe. You are nasty. You're nasty. You're broken. You're sinful. And it's worse than just a piece. You're shattered. There, there's some illustrations that run throughout Scripture in this. And um, Isaiah is going to use one of fabric in which every fabric, every piece of the garment is stained with your sin and your iniquity. Paul uses the illustration that God is the potter and we are the clay. And in creation, we have this nice, simple, beautiful, good pot. And it's perfect. And we tend to think that in the fall, that in our sin, we just get cracked and we just get shattered. And those of us who are rednecks, we just think a little glue and duct tape will just fix that right up. And it minimizes the greatness of our Savior. Because the truth is, is we are not shattered. You are rubble. Every particle is dust. You are broken to the point in which you are shattered. Every fabric of you is stained. You cannot see yourself as simply cracked or a missing piece. You must understand that your sin and your brokenness saturates your entire being. If we want to grow in our understanding of grace, if we want to grow in our understanding of the gospel, of the good news, we must re-examine our brokenness. As Newton says, we must remember that we are great sinners, that we might see Christ as a great savior. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 14, verse two, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. There is no exception no clause for the young or the old. No clause for Israel. All, all have turned away. No grandma clause. Man, we love our grandmothers. Grandmothers are shattered in their brokenness. Isaiah goes on in chapter 64, and he says in verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon the name of the Lord, your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Surely there's some good in us. I mean, that, that's the thought, right? Surely there's some good in us. No, we, we're like a polluted garment. 
a minstrel rag here, a graphic text. Listen, why is it there? Because your sin is more graphic. Your sin is more evil. It saturates you. It breaks you. Do you realize Isaiah calls Israel rebels who don't understand, sinful evildoers, corrupt, estranged, backward, sick like Sodom and Gomorrah. He says of their worship that it is a burden to God, that it is in vain, that it is an abomination, that God's soul hates, that it is dirty, unjust, that they are oppressive, that they are saturated in sin, a whore, unfaithful, murderers, and broken. And church, listen, that's just chapter one. It's just chapter one. You wanna understand our sin and our brokenness. You must understand we are shattered. There is injustice because we are unjust. We are the problem. Don't try to defend yourself. You are part of the problem. There is injustice because we are unjust. And he goes on and he, he really hits at something that I think should hit us closely. He says of this specific judgment against Israel that their worship is in vain. That Israel gives lip service to God. That they participated in religious ceremonies, but they did not worship as if they were desperately dependent in grace. Instead, they worshiped as those who were good enough that a little practice and a little ritual and a little religion would be enough. Our second big idea, we are broken and our worship is an abomination. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Notice God links them with Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities that are destroyed because of their evil. Verse 11, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. God is acknowledging that the sacrificial system is insufficient it was never designed to atone, but to point to atonement. And they're abusing this system. It's become sufficient for their sin. After all, they're not that bad. Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Broken in sin, left to ourselves. Our worship is in vain. Our worship is in vain. 
It is a worship absent, a heart of repentance. And God says in verse 14, my soul hates it. He says, it is a burden to me. He says, when you pray, I will not listen. Why? Because this false worship is an abomination. Note the connection to Sodom and Gomorrah. So many of us wrongly, like, wait homosexuality. Oh, listen, we get it right. We acknowledge that it's a sin. It is a sin. We acknowledge that it's an abomination. It is an abomination. But every Sunday in the Bible Belt, we gather where all around us is false worship in which the practice of gathering is somehow doing something. And it's all around us. And we say so little. God says it's an abomination. We are shattered and stained. We are broken. We are unjust. Isaiah says in 29 verse 13, and the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Listen, remember, heart in the Old Testament isn't just emotion. It's all we can intellectually muster. In other words, it's not a charge to just feel more. We don't just show up and just like feel more. That's not the idea. That'd be a kind of a bad interpretation. Here's what it is. It is a charge to set our minds, to purpose ourselves, to focus ourselves on the one true God. This is a rebuke that they are worshiping in practice, but not in the purpose of their heart. Their awe of God is not a treasure. It's a cultural obligation. It's a routine. And God rebukes them. Because we know worship is not an obligation. Worship's not just a routine, it is a repentant life. That's why James says in chapter one, in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, our worship saturates our life. It's not compartmentalized to a Sunday, to a service, or to a building. When it's convenient, it shows itself constantly. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, verse one, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Authentic worship is death to self and a new life in Christ. It's life-changing. And so our next big idea, we are broken. Our repentance is required. Verse 16, back in Isaiah chapter one, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, 
you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah calls for repentance in verse 16 and 17, and he gives nine charges that please God, and we're gonna spend some time next week and break those down further. But understand that these practices aren't just limited to worship, just church practices. Again, they saturate and work their way into everyday life. In verse 16, there's some general descriptions like cease to do evil, But in 17, he says, learn to do good. Pursue it, learn to do good. That parallels what we just read in Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then next he charges, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. How the privileged treat the weak and the vulnerable in society is a mark of a repentant life, a life new in Christ. But I want you to focus on this. This is foundational. We are broken. We are broken and repentance is required. He goes on in verse 27. He says, Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness, but rebels and sinners shall be broken together. And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Toward the end of the book in Isaiah 55, he comes back in verse six and he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There is this call to repentance, this call to turn that is found throughout, but there's a problem. Everybody catch the problem. Repentance is beyond you. It's beyond you. Do you see this? Listen, this call to repentance is something they cannot accomplish. They don't understand. They don't get it. They can't do it. The gap between them and God, between you and God, is galaxies. You're right and his right. Your understanding, his understanding. Your justice, his justice. From the heavens to the earth. We are shattered and stained and we offer nothing. Ezekiel says it this way in chapter 18. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourself a new heart and a new spirit. How are they going to make themselves a new heart? How will they make themselves a new spirit? This isn't just Old Testament terminology. It comes into the New Testament as well. Luke chapter 13 records Jesus. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 or whom the tower 
fell and killed them. Watch it. There's a, a description. This tower has fell and killed these people. It, it's got to be some cultural event around them. They understand it. And the thought is, were they bad people? Were they bad people? They must have been. This thing happened to them. They must be bad people. And Jesus says, no. They're no worse than you. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. But how can we repent? We're shattered. This call to repentance is something beyond, something we can accomplish. Now, repentance is an inseparable act of faith to die to self and find life in Jesus. Listen, our repentance is not our work of redemption. Our repentance is turning to Jesus in faith to his work of redemption. It is dying to self and in faith turning to Jesus. And this is the gospel that the prophets are pointing to. This is the gospel that Isaiah is pointing to. Jesus even interprets it here in Luke chapter 24, verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones, O you foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. It all pointed to him, verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witness of these things. And behold, I am sending you. I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. I am sending you. The great commission flows all the way back to the prophets who pointed to the gospel, who pointed to Jesus, the one who would redeem. And Jesus, interpreting the prophets, interpreting Isaiah to speak for himself, now sends us, the church, out to proclaim the same message. There is hope in Jesus. It goes on in Acts chapter three in Luke's writing. He says, verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Here's, here's the catch. I want to make sure you get this. We've talked about our brokenness. We're talking about how shattered, how sinful we are, how it saturates every fabric of our being. But listen, that is not the end of the story. We are redeemed and Jesus is our righteousness. Isaiah chapter eight, setting up into chapter nine, he says in verse 22, 
and they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Chapter nine, verse one, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. See, in the former time, he brought into contempt, skipping down, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Why? Verse six, for to us, the broken, the shattered, the stained, a child is born. To us, the unjust, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A redeemer is given. He will establish the justice we cannot he will establish our righteousness, our standing with God, correct, holy, and right that we could not. And he will secure it today and forevermore. Isaiah goes on in chapter 53. He says this in verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Note the we, we the shattered, yet surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we are like sheep who have gone astray, who have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before, him, before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken, for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to shatter what was perfect, to stain what was pure, so that the shattered and the stained might be made new, 
Do you see how great of sinners we are and how great of a Savior he is? He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. We shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus' righteousness given to the broken. Verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Church, be humbled by God's word. Be humbled and in awe. Jesus did not tape up some small crack. He did not glue back some small broken piece. We offered nothing, and he gave everything. In him, you have his righteousness. And what does that mean? It means we are redeemed and Jesus is our salvation. Isaiah chapter 12, verse one. You will say in that day, church, give ear. Let us lead into song. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Proclaim his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The shattered have been saved. The stained have been made white as snow. Jesus has satisfied God's wrath. And the repentant remnant in faith that looks to him takes joy and finds hope. And we look forward and we long to a new Jerusalem and so as the team comes up and as we prepare to just sing and to worship and respond in songs of praise, one final big idea. We rejoice because we are being made new. Listen to this poetic picture to Israel that Isaiah writes in chapter 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. 
For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. No more shattered pieces, no more stained fabric, dead to self, alive and a new creation in Christ. Although my memory is fading, Two things I hope I remember. That I am a great sinner. That I might see the glory of the grace of God that is given in the Savior who is great. We're going to sing some songs of redemption. And as you sing, you sing as one who is redeemed if you are a child of God. If in faith you have repented and turned from your sin and claimed Jesus' righteousness as your own. And church, as you sing, do so humbled, understanding that you gave nothing, you had nothing to offer, that you were shattered and every fabric stained. And he loved you and has made you white as snow. Would you stand and would you sing and would you worship the one true God who loves you beyond our comprehension?